Once again, good evening to you. This is a good night to talk about a flood, actually. Not a, no night is so great, but I was kind of smacking my lips. They had all those announcements this morning and uh, related to the youth events, and they were all swim events. Are they, like, smarter than us or what? Uh, I was ready to go to any pool party or rafting trip or, or whatever. So we picked things up in uh, our journey through the Scriptures from uh, Genesis to Revelation tonight and Genesis chapter 6 verse 1. Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them that the sons of God saw uh, the daughters of men and uh, that they were beautiful and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit will not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. There were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them, uh, those were the mighty men who were of old men of renown. Now, uh, verse 1 makes mention of the fact that uh, what happens here at this time in human history, there is a population explosion that is going on on the earth. Now, we read through, I don't know how many minutes it would take us to read from uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and then read right on through to uh, chapter uh, 6, or actually to read from uh, the um, uh, middle of chapter 3 to the beginning of chapter 6, and it's important to realize that 1,600 years of human history have gone by during that time. You have people at that time, mankind, because of the condition of of the earth, God's will related to these things, living hundreds of years. I mean, the childbearing ages are uh, extraordinary. And so, uh, so many people being born and, and, uh, and uh, rapid uh, population growth for the entire uh, earth. Now we're told that in addition to this multiplication in terms of, of the size of the human population, that this time immediately before the uh, flood and the creation, uh, the building of the ark and all of this, that this time was a time of widespread sexual immorality. You notice in verse 2 we're told that the sons of God uh, saw the daughters of men and that they uh, took them to be uh, their wives. So somehow you have a union here of the sons of God, whoever they are, and the daughters of men, whoever they are. And we're told in verse 4 that this uh, sexual union is is producing uh, giants, mighty men, men of renown. Now whatever is is happening here is uh, very, very displeasing to the Lord. You notice in verse Verse 3, that he's had about added up to here, you know, with related to the wickedness of, of the world. And he indicates that he's not going to strive with man forever. He is, he is trying to be an influence for righteousness by his spirit in the world. 
He's fighting against it, but man, by and large, except for eight people, are not cooperating in any way uh, with any of this. He's not going to put up with it anymore. And he gives them, yet his days, speaking of man at this time, shall be 120 years. Now don't read that and think that God is changing the lifespan of, of human beings and saying that and saying, okay, well, there's a, a threefold progression. Uh, early on in human history, men were living uh, extraordinarily long lives. And then it went down to 120, and then now, you know, we live our three score and ten, somewhere between, on average, you know, 70 and 80 years old kind of, kind of a thing. Um, and then sometimes these diets come out and they talk about the, the average lifespan should be 120 years. He's not talking about the fact that he's changing the lifespan of man here. He is talking about the time that he is going to give man to repent of their sin during the building of this ark before he brings his judgment upon the earth. Noah builds that ark for a period of, of about 100 years, 120 years, and, uh, and all that. That's what he's talking about here. God says, I'm not going to put up with this. I'm not going to let man become this and do this. I'm going to give them 120 years to repent. If there's no repentance, then I will bring judgment uh, on the earth. So whatever is happening sexually on the earth at this time is very, very troubling to God. Now there are some different ideas about what in the world is happening here sexually uh, on the earth, different uh, theories related to it. There's one uh, group of, of the body of Christ looks at it and says what is happening here is completely human in origin. And they, because in uh, chapters uh, 4 and 5 God has been talking about the lineage of Cain which is an ungodly lineage and then in chapter 5 talking about the lineage of or, or talking uh, about the lineage of Cain in, in chapter 4 and then late in chapter 4 speaking of the lineage of, of Seth which was a godly lineage that when he is talking here about the sons of God that he's talking about the righteous lineage of uh, Seth when he talks about the daughters of women uh, uh, the, the daughters of men he is talking about the unrighteous lineage of Cain and that the righteous and the unrighteous are uh, mingling together in sexual union and, uh, and it is uh, uh, producing these giants and these men of renown and, and these uh, kinds of, of things and there's apostasy and compromise and sin and the world is becoming wicked everybody okay did I hear something just me just in my head here okay thought I heard a little something over here somebody might have fallen out of a chair or something okay People have seizures and things, so I'm just making sure. Now, the problem with this view, looking at it and saying, well, it's, it's purely uh, human in origin, and it's simply the uniting of godly people and ungodly people uh, in sexual immorality, is that not every person in the lineage of Cain was wicked. And not every single person that was of the lineage of Seth in human history uh, was, was godly. So it, it doesn't line up uh, there. Additionally, there's no reason why the union of a godly person and an ungodly person would produce giants. Uh, or produce mighty men or produce men of, of renown any more than any other uh, sexual union. I mean, we can go... 
uh, out into any one of the children's church classrooms and there's going to be children in there uh, that have both parents are believers in the Lord. There's going to be children in that room where one of the parents is a believer and one of them is, is not a believer. And you'd be hard pressed if we just lined all the kids up and, and said, all right, which one of these is a, a product of the two different unions? I mean, uh, people come out about the same. Uh, uh, related to to uh, all of that, so there's there's no reason why uh, it it adds up for the kind of person that was produced. Uh, the offspring is about the same any time there are two purely uh, human people in, involved in what's happening. There's another group of people that looks at this and says what's happening here is supernatural in its origin, and that the daughters of uh, men refer to female human beings and that the daughter, the sons of God refers to angels because a couple of places in the Old Testament, principally in Job, uh, the angelic beings are referred to uh, as the sons of God. And so the idea as they look at it is that you have here angels procreating with human beings. And so for them that helps explain the supernaturalness of the byproduct of the human these giants, these men of renown and, and, uh, and mighty men. And of course you'd expect some kind of a superhuman something or other if angels were procreating with, with human beings, some kind of a creature that's half man and half, half angel. The problem with this view is, is that there's no indication in the scriptures anywhere that angels are sexual beings uh, at, at all. Jesus said when they brought in that story about this woman that was married to this man and he died and then you marry the brother in order to raise up a seed for the family and all. Anyway, there's seven brothers, they all died. Which one is going to have her as wife, you know, in the resurrection in heaven? And Jesus said, you uh, uh, spoke to them uh, of the fact that they do err not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. And he said, for in the resurrection, uh, speaking of angels, uh, in, in heaven we're not married, we're like the angels. Uh, uh, because they neither marry nor are given in marriage human beings in heaven, but they're like the angels of God in heaven. And so angels do not marry in heaven, and there's no indication that they're sexual beings. We won't be married in eternity. We'll be like the angels not marrying. Some people say, well, you know, just because uh, Jesus says that uh, the angels don't marry, it doesn't mean that they're not sexual beings. My response to that is, stop it. Just get a grip on yourself. You know, I, I don't think it's wise to go there. And, uh, you know, where the Bible is silent, let us remain silent. I, uh, I mean, to me, it's like, do we think that the heavenly scene is going to be one where the angels are having sexual relationships outside of the commitment of marriage? Can't, since they can't marry in heaven, do we think that heaven is going to be less holy in, in terms of its demand for holiness than, uh, than God's word is on the earth? I don't think so. Uh, it, additionally... In verse 3, when God looks at the scene, he denounces man. He doesn't denounce angels. He said, my spirit shall not strive with man forever. Not man and angels, but man. So there's no mention of any angelic uh, involvement from God's vantage point related to any of this. The third view related to uh, this is that the sons of God uh, refer to physical men who have been 
possessed by demons and uh, now they are engaging in uh, sexual relationship uh, with with women and uh, so you have fallen angels operating through human beings in these sexual unions and it's producing uh, these different kinds of, of people I'm inclined to hold uh, this view to believe that what you have here is a demonic attempt to establish kind of a uh, a super race, a master race. So here you have demonic beings, angels, uh, choosing which men they are going to demon possess. They choose the biggest, they choose the strongest, they choose the smartest, uh, they choose the most wicked, they choose the most uh, deceptive and subtle and all of this. They take and they, they possess that kind of man. Then, then they take and focus on, these men focus on procreating with women who are of the same kind of variety in the human condition. Uh, the biggest, the smartest, um, you know, the, the most evil. The whole idea here behind the demonic involvement in, in my thinking is, is that they are trying to raise up leaders for the world that are, match what they're about, the wickedness of what the demonic realm is about, to pull them away uh, from following after God. So we've seen it. Uh, we saw, have seen many times through, through human history where you have had human beings try to develop a master race by limiting the contact of certain kinds of people, you know, in terms of, of a sexual union producing this kind of person and then breeding that and breeding that and breeding that. And what uh, to me you have here is simply the demons doing that. And, and so you take these people who are extraordinarily uh, tall and uh, extraordinarily strong and you just start breeding them through 1600 years but nobody knows it's happening it's a demonic thing that's going on that, that that's kind of behind the scene and pretty soon you've got a whole race of people that are giants compared to everyone else same thing you take wicked people and and you choose this one they're very very smart but their smartness is given to wickedness and you breed them and pretty soon the brightest and the best in the human condition are, are given over to advancing mankind uh, toward wickedness and toward uh, un ungodliness. And, and so you see this whole demonic involvement with the idea of, of producing a wicked kind of master race with the purpose of wiping out godliness from the earth and establishing uh, wickedness as the law of the land or the law uh, of, of the earth. Now this brings us then to the second and third characteristics of, of the world at the time of, of Noah uh, and, and the reason God was going to judge it and destroy it. Verse 5, And then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great uh, in the earth. So it was a time of extraordinary wickedness, a time when godliness is on the verge of being uh, blown out. You've got eight righteous people in the whole world out of a population of hundreds of millions of people by, by this time. And uh, so bad, uh, uh, good is 
is hanging by the balance, righteousness hanging by the balance, wickedness is just exploding. It's become great. And then also you add to it, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart, man's heart, was only evil continually. Would you notice that? Those three words, every only continually, related to evil. So here you have uh, mankind with a God-given ability to think and artistic expression and, and uh, tremendous abilities created originally in, in the image of God. All of these things are now being given over to uh, the expansion of evil, the development of, of more evil and more wickedness and, and, uh, and all pushing the, the boundaries of wickedness versus the pushing of the boundaries. Of, of righteousness and so the population of the world completely given over to wickedness the practice of evil continually and then any remaining time where they stop committing their evil and they have some time to stop and think all they can think about is what is a worse evil to do than the evil that they're doing that's terrible that's terrible but we have the capacity for that and I, I, frankly, and I'm no better than anybody else. I mean, God has saved me and he's changed me because that's what he does with people. So I'm not saying I, I can't get into a system like that and roll with it. You've got to sear your conscience to do it, even if you're a non-Christian. But you look at what's happening in, in the world and in the United States, you know, uh, today, how the, so many resources, so much money, so much development is going into even newer and greater evils for people to experience and to explore. And I think about how much of the uh, entertainment industry fits this bill. Why do they have to push, why do they have to push the boundaries? of what is right and wrong. Why do they always have to establish uh, swearing on TV, sexual immorality on TV, certain things on the movies and, and all at the theaters and those kinds of things. And once they've got that beachhead, then they try to establish the next bit of wickedness as the acceptable evil. Why do they fight the rating systems? Why do they fight being exposed for what it is and what, what, it, what, what they're doing? And why is there so much uh, outward pressure and, and uh, uh, expertise and money and all of that given in that direction in, instead of being used to nurture and produce nobility in people, to stir up greatness in people, uh, a sense of right and doing right, in their lives and not doing wrong with their lives and you see where the money is related to to all of this so you got these very very bright people who in their spare time because of the wickedness in their own heart they look and say all right I'm gonna make a movie about this I'm gonna make a TV show about this I'm gonna write a book about this I'm gonna put out an album about this and they take the wickedness of their own heart and, and they're going to push the boundaries and infect a larger uh, portion of, of the population related to that. And it goes on all the time, all uh, uh, around us. And you see how effective it is in, in, 
increasing uh, wickedness and sexual immorality and violence and all in the culture. Watch the children as they're being fashioned so much in the United States. I hope you're protecting them. But being, you know, fashioned if if they're not being protected by uh, all of these ungodly images and sexual immorality and the music and the violence and, and the sexually explicit video games and all. And the problem is, is the ages of the kids that are engaging in this stuff getting younger and younger nothing to pick up the modesto b and to read about uh nine-year-olds 11-year-olds 13-year-olds raping people uh sexually abusing people killing people i i mean it's it's not a rarity uh anymore the age how it's been driven down that doesn't happen in a vacuum That happens because tremendous resources are operating within the culture in in order to think of evil and keep pushing people for whatever reason towards greater and and greater uh, 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 wickedness. I I look at, I've seen videos because of course Islam is so much in the news and and the, the school systems, the Palestinian school systems, if that's what you want to call them, indoctrination centers, brainwash centers and all, where they take in the curriculum and, you know, your, your addition is, you're adding up how many Jews got killed and whatever, you know, and they incorporate the whole thing in, in this, this, this whole way and, and this uh, ingraining within them a hatred for the Jews, a hatred for Christians, hatred for Americans and for the, the West. And you just look at that and, and anybody that has a sense of how much of a child is fashioned in those years of their life and you're horrified and you realize they're producing monsters but we have to be careful and there's nothing wrong with denouncing that for the terrible thing that it is but it is no more right to take under the banner of freedom and do the same thing from another angle to human minds and children's lives and their hearts for the love of money and and all of these things to turn them into violent monsters, sexual predators, all of these kinds of of things uh, from the Western angle. And it's going on all around the world, all uh, around our our country. Then you, you notice what the Lord declares here, his response to all of this, is that he was sorry that he had made man on the earth. Imagine, I mean, here he is, and he's created the world, he's created man, wants fellowship with man and, and all, and enjoyed walking with man in the coolness of the evening in Eden, and this is what they've turned into. I mean, he's, it, it, it broke his, his heart. Sin breaks the heart of, of God. And, and we're told that not only was he sorrowful, but that he, uh, he was grieved in, in his heart. The whole condition of the world produced grief inside of him. Now, grief's an interesting thing. It's different than anger. Because grief uh, has an element of vulnerability related to it. I grieve over people and situations that I care about. I'm emotionally invested in it. I love the people that are involved in the situation. And then when it goes all bad, my heart is grieved over that. I can become angry over something and not be emotionally invested at all. Not love anybody in the situation at all. We grieve because we love. 
And the Lord loves his creation. He loves the the people, but uh, this is just too much for him, and and it, it produces grief in him. He's invested in his relationship with man, and because of that, it's grief. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing, and the birds of the air. For I am sorry that I have made them. And so here is his third reaction to all of this, the grief, uh, the sorrow, the grief, and then the regret. And God expresses his determination now to bring man's wickedness to an end. And he's forced to wipe the population of the world out. It's more than wickedness here. When when God unleashes the flood, it's very important to understand this. When he unleashes his judgment through the flood upon the earth, it's not just to wipe out wickedness, but he is endeavoring to salvage and protect his plan of salvation. He has given a promise to Adam and Eve in the garden that he will send a Savior who will be born of the seed of a woman. And at this point in time in human history, there are only eight righteous people in the whole world. And when you've got a world like this, in one night, they could all be killed. Now, who's he going to bring his Savior into the world through? So when he takes that judgment and he meets that judgment out upon the world it is it's not only his judgment and a righteous judgment but he is protecting his plan of salvation see up to this point a lot of people have already died we saw that in chapter 5 and he died and he died and he died and he died they need a savior God has promised a savior he's going to keep his word and if that means judging the entire world to protect his plan of salvation for mankind, they would not have one if all righteousness is wiped out before the flood. And, and so God is taking and protecting his word and his promise of a Savior through the flood. Now, as dismal as all of that is, I mean, bad news on every front, here are two of the greatest <laughs> words in the whole thing, the two words that begin verse 8, but Noah. I like that. But Noah. But Noah found grace in the eyes of God. And this is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man. That means he did what was right and wrong on the basis of God's definitions. And he was perfect in his generations. Perfect means that he was blameless. No one could point a finger at him and say that man is walking in, in willful and deliberate sin. He, he's, he, he, nobody could point at wrongdoing in his life. And, and so he is a just man. He is perfect in his generations. And then we're told uh, the explanation uh, for it. Noah walked with God. Listen, when the whole world is like that, And everyone in the world is given over to that kind of sin. Uh, There's only one way to resist that and stand separate from it. And that is to have a personal relationship with God. And that's what Noah had. And one of the things that I love about Noah is he is just and he is blameless. Even though the whole world is the exact opposite. Do you know that you can walk with God and you can obey His Word 
even if no one else in the whole world does. Now you imagine that. There's not one other Christian in the entire world. Not one other one in Modesto. Not one in the state of California, the United States. The whole world. It's just you. And everything else is just a wickedness that God must judge. No matter how loving He is. In the midst of that wickedness, you can walk with God. And you can live that kind of a life. That's the power of the Holy Spirit within our lives. And we need to know, as God says, things are going to wax worse and worse in the last days. Solitary goodness is possible. We can walk with God. No matter what the environment becomes. Because God has the ability to raise up within us a desire for good and godliness and a power to walk in it that's greater than even the greatest wickedness that man can come up with. And Noah does. And it's a beautiful thing and a beautiful lesson. I don't have to live like everybody else in, in Modesto. I don't have to live like everyone else in my neighborhood or in the apartment complex or in my school or in my workplace. We don't need to as Christians. We can walk with God no matter how evil the environment is. That's the power of God. But it'll take a walk with God, not just head knowledge about Him, but a walk with, with Him. And Noah begot three sons, uh, my three sons right here in the Bible, Shem, Ham, and uh, Japheth. And the, Lord, the earth was corrupt uh, before, the, uh, before God, and the earth was filled with violence, and so the world was a violent place, uh, uh, filled with violence at the time before the flood. And so God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And, and so the thing is just uh, an unredeemable mess. And and God said to Noah, uh, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them uh, with the earth. And so God here uh, speaks to Noah, speaks of a judgment that he's going to bring on the earth, but he gives him the reason why the judgment is coming. It's because of the wickedness of the earth, even as God has given us a warning that he's going to one day uh, judge the earth. And then God commands Noah uh, to make an ark. He said, make an ark of gopher wood. We don't know what that is uh, in, in today's terms. So he's to make this ark of gopher wood. He's to make rooms in the ark, so it's not just a big open uh, shell, and cover it inside and outside with pitch or with tar in order to make it watertight. And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits. A cubit was about 18 inches. It was the distance from the tip of your finger in those days to your elbow, depending on whoever was king. Uh, so if you had a tall king, it'd be a little bit longer. A shorter king, it'd be a little shorter. But about 18 inches on, on average. And, uh, and so here is this ark. Its length is to be 300 cubits, which is uh, 450 feet. So the length is about one and a half football fields. And uh, I can't wait for football season. Enough of this baseball. But anyway... Um, 
So 300 cubits uh, in length, its width 50 cubits, 75 feet, at its height 30 cubits, about 45 feet. So probably about where we are with the, the ceiling of this building. And then you shall uh, make a window for the ark and you shall finish it uh, to a cubit from above. Uh, and so all along the upper part of the ark there was uh, probably a, an opening with a roof overhang to allow ventilation and uh, and that arc's going to get pretty uh, gamey uh, in that uh, in the course of a year on that with all those animals and everything ventilation means a lot one time I used to I used to work at a car wash and uh, uh, and and people own dogs and that's great and uh, they should wash their own cars though uh, inside if you do that but anyway be these hot sweaty summer days and everything and they they pull the four you know Siberian huskies out of the car and we're going to clean up all the windows and everything and there are a couple of guys they would drive all the way through while they clean the inside and everything and be so warm and humid and just smelt like these dogs inside they get out at the end you know crawl back to start and do it all over again but it was uh, uh, probably pretty smelly uh, on 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 that ark now the dimensions uh, related to it before we leave the size of it the 300 cubits in length and and all of that um, the the interior volume uh, capacity of that ark would have been approximately 1,400,000 cubic feet. And it's estimated you could take 522 uh, railroad cars and have been able to stack them up very, very easily and neatly uh, there within the ark. The boat was, there's no talk about a rudder, there's no talk about a mast related to uh, the boat. It's just this big kind of flat bottom rectangular uh, vessel and uh, it's it's no kind of a boat for you know going on a cruise or trying to uh, navigate some way but it's perfect size and all for bobbing in the water and uh, and the dimensions of it is the shipbuilders through the years would look at it and they even use this as a model and in, in some kind of, of their shipping and all is is related to this boat this boat could uh, go up almost to 90 degrees uh, at an angle in terms of a wave and all and and go right back down and and maintain its stability I mean it is a it it, it is precision in terms of of just a stable uh, vehicle for bobbing on the surface of 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 the water the uh, almost impossible to capsize so that's the size of it the window put in place good for light good for ventilation and then notice and set the door the ark had only one door uh, on the side there was uh, only one way in one way out the ark is a picture of salvation by the way uh, and the, the and, and so only one way of salvation from this judgment and that was the ark and there was only one way onto the ark and it was a narrow way but it was a way and no one was excluded Do you know that of the hundreds of millions of people or whatever the population was of the earth at this time at any time during the 120 years that that ark was being built any one of them could have entered that ark no one was excluded it had a door just one door but 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 just because it's a narrow way doesn't mean it excludes anyone anybody could have gotten on and everyone who didn't get on 
was personally responsible for their decision for, for not doing so. So set the, ark, the door of the ark on its side, and uh, you shall make it with uh, a lower and a second and third deck. So pretty nice. Tri-level. Wow. That'll sell. That's nice. People like tri-level stuff, and they're very, very nice. And behold, I myself am bringing the floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. So warned of the coming flood. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you and your sons, your wife and your sons' wives with you. And so he's being told to build this ark, and, uh, and nobody's ever built a boat before. Uh, nobody's needed to build a boat before. It's never rained before. There's never been a flood before. Nobody knows what a boat is. But he's being told now to build this boat, and God tells him because there's a judgment coming that's going to require this boat to be built for the salvation of your family. So he's getting through to Noah that this is real serious, that you do exactly what it is that I'm telling you because your family's salvation depends upon it. And of every living thing, of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you, and they shall be male and female. So the purpose of Adam, not Adam and Eve, I'm going backwards. We can't afford to do that. So the purpose of Noah and his family, the animals getting on the ark, was in order to preserve uh, life. Of the birds after their kind, of the animals after their kind, uh, of every creeping thing of the uh, earth after its kind, two of every kind will come to you. Noah didn't have to become a cowboy. Head out there and goes, boy, kangaroos are rough to get a hold of those guys and all. God, God said, I'll bring them to you. You just load them up and... Uh, Two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. And you shall take for yourself of all food that is eaten, so not enough just to have the animals on the ark in order uh, to preserve life. Food would be required to keep them alive also. So you shall take for yourself of all food that is eaten, and you shall gather it to yourself, and it shall be food for you and for them. And, and so the, the commandment uh, that is given. Now this vessel, as I've said, this ark is a very, very large vessel. It contained plenty of room for every kind of, of animal. And uh, there wasn't any need to bring, uh, uh, to, uh, to bring every animal represented within a species. God only needed to bring, and note, he chooses the animals that come on the ark. Noah doesn't do that. God does that. So he only needed to bring one pair of animals to represent an entire species on the ark. And then afterwards, all of the various uh, breeds would then develop. There wasn't a need to bring every kind of dog on the ark. All you needed to do was just bring two dogs. And God would choose the dogs that he wanted with enough variation within them to then produce all of, of these uh, weird-looking dogs that we pay too much money for now uh, to keep alive. And, but they're good company, aren't they? And then additionally, uh, in terms of the ark, because people look at it and say, oh, there's no way you could get all of those animals on, on the ark. But additionally, you'd have to bring full-grown elephants on the ark. Just 
bring the little ones on the ark, the size of a pony. And you know, those little animals, they're cuter anyway uh, than, than the big ones. And, uh, and so, just, and the younger ones would be better anyway because afterwards uh, they, it'd be better for the repopulation than of, of the uh, animal group uh, and, and all. So you could bring the, bring the smaller uh, versions of them uh, on and uh, also possible that some of the animals might have hibernated on the ark. But there's plenty of room for all. Someone has estimated that if you, there are uh, 18,000 species of mammals, birds, reptiles, and amphibians in the world uh, today. And uh, if you were to double that to uh, uh, kind of uh, to 36,000 and say, well, some have gone extinct and then maybe some of them went extinct after uh, the flood and all. So maybe there were a lot more animals on the ark and, than animals that are, are represented in, in the world today. So if you doubled the species to 36,000 and all, that still meant that there were less than 75,000 animals on, on the ark. And uh, the ark could have easily accommodated 150,000 sheep. And so the average size, certainly, of, of the animals that were put on the ark wouldn't have been greater than, than a sheep when you consider that for every, you know, uh, baby elephant you've got to get on the ark, you know, you're also bringing on a frog and a snake and a lizard and something much smaller. So kind of evens out uh, that, that way. And so they, uh, they estimate that with these animals brought on after their kind in this way that they probably would have only filled about 60% of the ark with the animals themselves uh, and, uh, and, but then the other 40% of the room on the ark given then for food and all for sustaining life I think it's also very very helpful to understand that it wouldn't be until after the flood that these animals would become carnivorous otherwise the ark would have become very very messy uh, you know what a bloodbath that would have been uh, you know and, uh, but they weren't meat eaters and neither were people until after uh, the flood and, and, uh, and so then notice very very important in verse 22 thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him so he did did all did God told him to build an ark gave him the dimensions told him what you would to use the pitch the whole deal and what did Noah do he obeyed it how important was it that he obeyed that very important how important was it that he obeyed every detail of what God told him to do? Very important. What if he said, boy, God, you know, I don't think, I'm going to make it half scale. Trouble, wouldn't it? Or if he said, you know, listen, I mean, it's uh, uh, 120 years, uh, you know, what's the big deal? Let's, let's finish it in 200 years. Who cares? And all. No, he... God gave him his marching orders, and he obeyed it. And it was very important that he obeyed it to a T. And one thing that uh, Noah is, is, is he was a, an obedient man. How important is it in your life and my life that we obey God in everything that he tells us to do? There is no way that Noah could have known how important his total obedience was. Only time would tell. The same thing is true about us. Complete 
total obedience. We don't know what hangs in the balance on the basis of our obedience to what God calls us to do and to be in, in this uh, world. Now, during this time, it's kind of a New Testament commentary related to all of this. When Noah was taking and building this ark and uh, taking a hundred years or so in order uh, to do that, Peter tells us that uh, in doing this, he was a preacher of righteousness. For 120 years, he builds an ark out in the middle of dry land. There's never been a drop of rain in human history. Never been a flood. People coming up to him saying, No, what you doing? I'm building a, a big boat. It's called an ark. Really? Why are you doing that? It's going to flood. What's a flood, Noah? Well, a flood happens when it rains so much that the water gets so high that everyone would, would drown in it. What's rain, Noah? Nobody knows what rain is. And he looks like the stupidest idiot. He looks like the stupidest idiot for walking with God. He looks just like a numbskull for 120 years in the eyes of the world. But God said the whole time he was building that, that was he was preaching righteousness to that population. Judgment is coming. Judgment. Don't think that when the flood came, oh, my people had no idea and all for 120 years. It was, it was a living sermon that judgment was coming and, and uh, warning of, of the judgment that was going to come upon the sin of the world. And I like Noah here in, in all of this. And when you look at him and, and all, you say, okay, if the world is wicked and it's violent and it's given itself to wickedness and sexual immorality and problems and all of these kinds of things and all, what kind of a person is able to stand and live for God in the midst of that kind of wickedness? A, w a world that is due God's uh, judgment. And, and so what, what does it take to survive? Noah's a beautiful picture of that. Number one, got to have a walk with God. Got to have a walk with God relationship with him number two I, I need to live a just life a holy life that's obedient to God's word even if no one else in the family does even if no one else in the apartment complex does or the school even if no one else in the whole world does that has no power over me as a child of God and then number three, when the judgment finally does come, we need to be found being faithful to God's calling upon our lives, busy about his business in the same way that uh, uh, Noah was. Chapter 7. And then the Lord said uh, to Noah, come into the ark. Now you notice that word come, and uh, it's an interesting one. He didn't say, go into the ark. What if, what if God came and said, now go into the ark. Whoa, whoa, wait, what do you mean go? Where are you hanging out in all this? And, uh, but God doesn't do that. He says, you come. God's presence, his special presence is inside that ark. So he invites, uh, you know, Noah in, into the ark. You and all of your household, because I've seen that you're righteous before me in this generation. And you shall take with you seven of each clean animal, a male and his female, two of each of the animals that are unclean, a male and his female, and also seven each of the birds of the air, male and female, to keep the species alive. 
on the face of the earth. So the unclean animals, and God's going to define clean and unclean animals under the law of Moses. But, but he, def- he defines them somehow here with Noah. Of the unclean animals, just two, male and female of each one. That's fine. Of the clean animals, seven. So you've got three pairs and a spare on this thing. So probably the clean animals are animals that are good for food, uh, good for domestication, animals uh, uh, that uh, are, are helpful in this, this kind of, of a way, good for sacrifice un, unto the Lord that he would accept and all. And, and so he allows those animals a greater number on the ark in order that when this all ends and they head out onto the earth, those particular animals can increase in, in an even in uh, a quicker fashion because of, 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 of their help related to mankind. Then there was a spare that was given, an odd number, just perfect for a sacrifice at the end of the flood. Now it's not that God is kind of setting uh, Noah up to offer him a sacrifice after the flood. God just knows that's, that'll be on his heart when, when they finally get off that boat. They're going to be on that boat for uh, one year and six days. Can you imagine? Man, we'd be happy to hit a dry ground. So, so he, he kind of builds in a, a sacrifice number. Four, get on there with the animals. For after seven more days, I will cause it to rain on the earth 40 days and 40 nights, and I will destroy from the face of the earth all living things that I have Made. And so he puts them on the ark, tells them to get on seven days before the rain starts. Now, they, if they didn't look like stupid idiots to the world up to now, now they really do. I mean, what is Noah and his family doing now? Today, they got on the ark with all of those stinky animals. I mean, how ridiculous. And the jokes, you know, how many Noahs does it take to change a light bulb and and all of these kinds of things. How dumb could a guy be? Why would God put him on the ark seven days prior to the flood actually starting? I, I think he was doing it just one more thing to get the attention of the world. To give them one more space of time to either consider this man a fool or, or to heed what it was that he was preaching and to get on that uh, ark uh, with him. And so they get, get on there and, and Noah did according to all that the Lord had commanded uh, him. So he gets on with everybody and Noah was 600 years old. That's a great uh, century, isn't it? And he's 600 years old when the flood waters were on the earth. So that was his age when the flood started. And so Noah with his sons, uh, his wife and his son's wives, three sons, uh, three wives, six, Noah and his wife, eight people went into the ark because of the waters of the flood of clean animals, of animals that were unclean, of birds and of everything that creeps on the earth. Two by two, they went into the ark to Noah. Again, God is in control of all of this. Male and female as God had commanded Noah. 
And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were on the earth. And so the flood starts in the 600th year of Noah's life. And the second month, the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep were broken up and the windows of heaven were open and the rain was on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. Now, this flood begins now and God identifies the two sources of water that produce the flood. We always think about 40 days and 40 nights of rain and that produced the flood on the earth. That was one source of, of, of uh, water for the earth. But he tells us the second source in verse 11 was that the fountains, the, the subterranean water sources and all underneath the earth, they just kind of uh, burst up out of the earth. You can imagine just the power as they just break through the crust there and then water is just gushing up out of these uh, subterranean uh, layers. Water beginning, kind of flooding. It's like a house flooding from a pipe breaking or something in addition to water coming down and, and it is the two things coming together that produce the kind of water uh, that uh, brought on the flood. And on the very same day, Noah and Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast after its kind, all the cattle after their kind, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after its kind, every bird after its kind, uh, uh, every bird of every sort. And they went up into the ark uh, to Noah, two by two, of all flesh in which is the breath of life. And so those that entered male and female of all flesh went in as God had commanded and the Lord shut him in. And so the door of salvation was closed at this point as the flood had begun. And, and uh, so now nobody else gets on that ark. And, and that's it. The judgment's not going to overtake the whole earth. In the same way God says the judgment's going to come upon this earth talks about the, the day of salvation ends for every single person, the opportunity to be saved. Death for sure brings that into our lives. That's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. If you're here tonight, you are not saved. You don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. One day, don't assume that door's always going to be open to you. One day the door closes, and then there's no chance to get on the ark, no chance to become in, in Christ and, and get on board with Him. And that's what happened here. The Lord shut him in, shut the door. That was the end of that. Only those who were on the ark at this point were going to be saved. Now the uh, flood was on the earth 40 days. The waters increased and lifted up the ark and it rose high above the earth. And so uh, no partial flood uh, here. The flood is a worldwide flood. And, and sometimes... People look at it and they try to explain, you know, the supernaturalness of the Bible away and these things and say it was a partial flood. It just flooded that section of the world. Well, listen, wicked people aren't stupid. If it was just a partial flood, they just, you know, take a taxi to the section of the world that's not flooding. And he, and he talked about this wickedness being over the whole face of, of the earth. Or if he wanted to save Noah and his family and it was going to be a partial flood, he could just say, listen, get away from here. This is going to flood. I'm not going to put you through that whole ark thing or anything. I'll just move you over here because it's going to flood over here. He doesn't do that. It floods the whole earth. That's the reason for, uh, for the... Um, 
for the ark. So the water rises high above the earth. We're going to see in just a moment it rises even over the mountains. That's why when, you, um, uh, when, the, when they're working up on these mountains and they're doing excavations and different things and they find these fossils of sea animals, you know, at uh, thousands of feet above uh, you know, sea level in these things. Because there's a flood uh, was upon the earth. The waters are going to recede. All of these animals are going to be left embedded in this whole settling you know, of underneath the waters and all. And so all of it testifying uh, to, to the flood. And so the, the waters prevailed, verse 18, and greatly increased on the earth, and the ark moved about on the surface of the waters. And uh, the waters prevailed exceedingly on the earth. All the high hills under the whole heaven were covered. And the waters prevailed 15 cubits, that's 22 feet upward. And the mountains of the earth were covered. We're talking about a worldwide flood here that God is describing. And all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds and cattle and beasts and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth and every man, all in whose nostrils were the breath of the Spirit of life, all that was on the dry land died. So uh, Flipper lived and uh, sea animals and these water animals, they all lived. Just what was on, on the dry land uh, died. And so he destroyed all living things which were on the face of the ground, both man and cattle, creeping thing, and bird of the air. They were destroyed from the earth. Only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days but when you think about that 150 days it's like hold that thought because it's not going to be 150 days or five months or so that all this is going on they will be in this ark for a little bit over a year but we'll pick all of that up Lord willing uh, next week in chapter 8